Hello, friends, and welcome to the show. This episode of HR Oxygen is brought to you by Boss Builders University. If you're looking to train up your supervisors and managers, please check out our newest offering, The Art of Being a Great Boss. In this 13-month program, we'll be taking your managers through our driving results curriculum, which includes topics on communication, performance management, motivation, delegation, problem-solving, decision-making, team development, and much more. The sessions are virtual, running one hour each month, and I'll do it using our popular sketch and seminar graphic art and storytelling format. No boring PowerPoints, stale stories, and outdated tools and techniques. The sessions are engaging and provide tactical, practical tools that can be used immediately after the sessions. You can either have your entire organization take our program, or if you have just a few folks, join one of our open enrollment cohorts that start every other month. For more information, visit us online at thebossbuilders.com. You know, one of the reasons that people have traditionally left one job to go to another has been the one that is probably the most obvious, right? They leave for more money. That is certainly the case these days where people are leaving jobs for as little as a dollar more an hour. But you know, before the great resignation, what we typically saw is that people would leave their jobs because they were quitting their boss. But you know, every now and then, the one reason that even topped that one was that a person didn't feel like there was any opportunities for growth and development. And so even though today you might have a combination of all three of those as you're looking at your retention strategies, we really cannot neglect the one about career development. And that's why we have a very special guest on the show today. Julie Winkle Giglioni is a champion for workplace growth and development. She helps executives and leaders optimize talent and potential within their organizations. Julie's one of Inc. Magazine's top 100 speakers, and she's the author of Promotions Are So Yesterday, Redefine Career Development, Help Employees Thrive, and the co-author of the international bestseller, Help Them Grow or Watch Them Go. Career conversations organizations need and employees want. And by the way, that's been translated into seven different languages. Julie and I had a great talk, not only about career development, but also some of the trends in training and development, which is an area of expertise for her as well. So lots of great information. You don't want to hear me. You want to hear her. So let's go ahead and get ready. Time for you to buckle that seatbelt low and across your hips. Make sure your personal items tucked under that seat in front of you. Time for us to taxi to the runway. Should the cabin lose pressure, oxygen masks will drop from the overhead area. Please place the mask over your own mouth and nose before assisting others. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the HR Oxygen Podcast, the show focused on the overworked, overwhelmed, and underappreciated HR professional. And now, here is the host of our show, the boss builder, Mac Monroe. Julie Winkle Giulioni, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Mac. Well, it's great to have you. You are coming to us today from warm and sunny Pasadena, California. South Pasadena, California. Not so warm and sunny. It's a little rainy, but that's a, a great break from uh, the usual. Yeah, that's it. It was funny. We talked a little bit before we started recording about yeah how Californians react when there's rain or cold weather. <laughs> it's just something that's very unusual. That's and right. so, yeah, I just hope you can enjoy the moment and go out there and splash around in the puddles and do all the things that you don't normally get to do. I will do that, but not until after we have a great conversation. That's right. Yeah. So, Julie, you are the author of a couple of books. You're the author of Promotions Are So Yesterday, Redefine Career Development, Help Employees Thrive, and the co-author of 
help them grow or watch them go. So I'm guessing both of these books are in the realm of career development, and that's what I hope that we could talk about today. So before we get into those questions, please tell us about yourself, tell us your journey, and tell us the kinds of things you're working on today. Well, thank you for asking. You know, as I think back upon my journey, the common thread in all that I've done is learning. There's been some dimension of learning and development, uh, right from my first job where I taught modeling and charm to children. And I found that you know my skills kind of grew as my audience did. I ended up teaching high school. I was a, a professor at a university and department chair um, before going back into industry where I was able to migrate those same learning and development skills into more of a, a corporate setting. And I had the pleasure of setting the, the learning agenda for a couple of different organizations as a training manager before going to work for a commercial training company. And it gave me a chance to cut my teeth um, in terms of consulting. And then about five years into that, the travel was a, a little problematic. I had a young son at the time. And so I was able to pivot a little bit and move into product development for that company. It was just really probably the most important career change I made because it was where I took my instructional development skills to a whole new level, building commercial training products that are still used today. And so I used that experience there along with the consulting to launch my own business about 20 years ago. And since that time, I've just had a, a fabulous uh, journey getting to support organizations worldwide in a variety of ways in terms of developing training programs and systems and behavior change for them. And then more recently, over the last 10 years or so, getting to author a couple of books and really dive deeply into this topic of career development, which is just another nook and cranny around the, uh, the learning and development journey. That's a pretty interesting path. So what was the first thing you did? It was uh, modeling and what was that? We taught modeling and charm to children. Back in those days, uh, retail stores, a few of them in our area at least, had these little programs where parents would bring their kids in and we would teach them how to sit properly and stand and introduce themselves and shake hands and um, use silverware properly and wash their face and brush their teeth. And, um, and it was just, it, it was probably the, the most intense learning around learning that I ever had, because if you can figure out how to crack the code and engage little ones like that in learning, I'm firmly convinced that everybody else is a piece of cake. <laughs> So were these kids, uh, what was the motive behind bringing kids to a program like this? Because I mean, yeah. I've heard of things like cotillion. I don't know if that's it, but was yeah. it kind of like in those, I want to expose my kids to different things? Yeah, I think it was probably the, the younger sets version of cotillion. Um, probably parents wanting to outsource some of this, you know, the angst that they had dealing with developing some of these skills. And we had a modeling dimension to it as well. And so the kids would learn how to pivot and they would graduate with a fashion show where they've got to be up on a stage. So that was part of the motivation too. 
Yeah. Did the kids seem to enjoy it or was it kind of like uh, enforced babysitting there? No, it was always fun. It was among the funnest of the jobs that I've had. The kids had a great time. The curriculum was super interactive, so they stayed really engaged. And they had that graduation of a fashion show to look forward to. So there was a little bit of, um, you know, just that right level of attention and stress to make sure that the learning was happening. So when you moved into adult learning then, which sounds like you've done a fair amount of that, what is the biggest difference between an adult learner and a young learner? aside from just their age and maybe the topic? Probably the nature of the motivation. So the kids were brought to me with an external motivator. You know, their parents were pushing them to do something different and they wanted to do a fashion show, that sort of thing. With adult learners, if we can't figure out what's making them want to learn, the, the whiff them, the what's in it for me, for an adult learner, it's really hard for adults to carve out the time and the attention and the energy that's required to learn something new. Yeah. Do you find with adult audiences, and I don't, I don't know if it's what you see in my realm, which is doing management training, very few people get excited about coming to any of my programs. And because most people, I think, are forced to go like, hey, guess what? Next week, you're doing management training one hour a month for the next year. Like, oh, that's just amazing. That's great. That's exactly what I did not want to do. I don't I guess I always experience that side of it. What is it like to have people say, oh, I cannot wait to come to your class and learn something? Is that what you've experienced more? I've certainly had my fair share of the, you know, the dread and loathing and <laughs> being there because they have to. But over the years, what I've started to realize is that how we set the table before people show up can really change the dynamic once they do set, uh, show up. And so I typically work with clients to create a communications campaign on the front end that warms the audience up before they, you know, either walk in the room or log on to the, the virtual classroom. And so the, the kinds of uh, communication that's sent out, sometimes I'll make a personal phone call when time permits. Frequently we'll have a, a video or some sort of a pre-read, nothing heavy and nothing that's required because we know half the folks won't do it. Uh, but that effort, to engage folks before they show up and help them start thinking about what benefits they might realize creates, I think, a, a little bit more, I don't know, receptivity. I don't know that they're dancing on the ceilings and can't wait to get there. Well, they dance out the way out the door at the end of the day. They're in a sprint mode in my workshop. <laughs> <laughs> There's that too. <laughs> So in all of your training that you've done, what are the subjects that you enjoy facilitating the most? You know, facilitation, just facilitating is such a joyful experience that sometimes the content can be secondary. Leadership, career development, management development, the skills that require conversation and collaboration and exchange. I would say are probably my sweet spot and where I get the most satisfaction. And yet I've, I've facilitated some really funky things like how to put decals on airplanes. Uh, I mean, just totally outside of my wheelhouse. And, and even that 
is is fascinating. Uh, one of the things I love about my job is I get to work with so many different organizations, so many different kinds of content, and just learning, seeing the light bulbs go on, seeing people walk out, being able to do something a little bit better than they could when they walked in is is awfully gratifying. Have you been doing a lot of in-person stuff lately or has it, because I don't know what it was like, I'm assuming most of your stuff had to go virtual over the past couple of years. Are you seeing virtual being the norm? And if that's true, how do you transition your in-person stuff to virtual? Yes, we had to pivot overnight like everyone else and, and transform the live experiences that we had constructed to work for virtual. And so that is, you know, obviously what we like everybody else did for the last couple of years. I'm starting to see um, live things come back. I'm super excited. In fact, just before hopping on the line, I booked a, a flight to Tulsa to work with a, a client and I'm speaking at a, a conference next month. So I'm, I am seeing it coming back. I think the genie might be out of the bottle on this whole remote stuff and it's going to be hard to, to get it back in. There is such convenience, such scale, such cost savings for organizations. So my prediction would be organizations are going to be more circumspect when it comes to the live stuff. They'll dedicate that time where it makes sense, but the, the virtual remains the mainstay for me, at least right now. And, you know, the good news is that the virtual platforms have just gotten better and better. They're offering more tools and more engagement uh, and interactivity strategies. And so with some smart instructional design, we can keep people pretty on the edge of their seats and engaged and, and participating with uh, content. And so we just keep trying to to raise our game when it comes to that and find ways to really make sure that people are as active as possible in the experience, which, you know, as you well know, makes a, a huge difference. Yeah. I'm wondering what that looks like for you. We've, you know, we've tried to breakout rooms. We've done some work in breakout rooms, but one of the comments that we often get, and I don't know whether it's a compliment or not, was the fact that I appreciated the facilitator not continually trying to get me to type something in the chat box. Mm -hmm. And I know that there's different learning styles. Mine is really more of I'll blank my camera out and blank my sound out and I'm going to be paying attention, but I'm not going to be playing the training games and doing those mm -hmm. things because I'm kind of a person that stands back a little bit. You know, how do you count? How do you balance that when you may have some people that are very anxious to get in there and type things and do breakouts? How do you balance those? Well, I think it comes down to variety, just like in a, a live classroom, you've got to mix it up and be able to appeal to those different kinds of learners. And, and even an individual learner is going to bring different styles and needs based upon where they might be on a given day or during the, the uh, trajectory of the, the learning experience. And so I think it boils down to finding ways to vary it up and making creating a culture of choice around learning i mean we're all adults here nobody's got to do anything and so i assume that folks are giving me the gift of their attention and the gift that i give back is the the flexibility and the autonomy to engage in ways that are meaningful to them and so 
you know, we do the chat, we'll ask people to unmute, we can do polls, which is a little, you know, lower risk than, than the chat. Um, sometimes the whiteboard, mm -hmm. although it requires more energy on the part of the learner, there's something creative about it that can go into that and folks enjoy that. Something as simple as asking people to put one of the emojis in, you know, the, the chat can be a, a way. Um, but when it comes to breakout rooms in particular, I'm really a fan of getting people into smaller groups to do something, but the something has to be super meaningful. Folks don't want to just go in and chat about something. And so, um, so what I've, what we've started to do is really make sure that those breakout rooms add value. So for the new book, we've just developed a training program at the, at the center of it is a case study, but participants go to a website and they learn about the organization and their team at this website and then do some planning around their career development together. And so it's a really focused, meaningful, transferable activity. I think that's the key. What people are doing in those breakout rooms has to have meaning for them to, to be willing to, to engage. Yeah. So when you compare a live in-person workshop with a virtual one, it, do you do anything different with the times? Do you, do you still would have like an, an eight hour workshop online or how is it? Have you done anything differently with the virtual experience? I have found that we can't just translate an eight hour ILT to an eight hour VILT session, uh, instructor led versus uh, virtual instructor led. We've got to rethink it. There's um, it's a funny little time warp. There's a willingness to show up for eight hours live. There's not a willingness to show up for eight hours virtually. Mm -hmm. And so uh, the natural thing is to break it up. But I, I still have not seen organizations who would take that eight hours and break it up into four two hour sessions. Uh -huh. So instead, what we've really done is to look at the content and the design and identify what could people do on their own in a self-paced fashion, whether you know, is there some content that we could build a, an e-learning module on? Or are there assessments and debriefing exercises that could be done offline? Or is there reading or video or something of that nature? And so what we've done is more to figure out what do we need the live time for? What can we not accomplish without being together? We reserve the, the live virtual uh, instructor-led time for that and then figure out how to parse out the other content creatively. I see. Well, the, it seems like the main focus of your business today is around the career development. The, it seems like it's the focus of a couple of your books. So how did you go from a primary training interest to now it seems like maybe this other area in career development? So we did a ton of work and I'm just thinking over the last 30 years, I, I can't even count the number of programs I've developed around leadership development. And so leadership development was already a sweet spot in an area of expertise. And uh, about 10 or 12 years ago, I had uh, been working with a company 
that was headed by Beverly Kay. And when her publisher had uh, indicated it was time for her to write a new book, she came to me because of the consulting work we had done, the development work that we had done for her firm. She knew how compatible our, our thinking was. And so she invited me to write, help them grow or watch them go with her. And so for me, that was just a matter of making a small turn and going down one of the many paths associated with leadership development, sort of a specialized little niche there. And so that was my opportunity to dig into the research and the specifics associated with career development. And it was funny, Mac, because as I was, she asked, would I be willing to write a book? And of course, you know, who doesn't have writing a book on their radar screens, on their bucket list? And uh, my first reaction to most things is how hard can it be? And then, of course, I discover. <laughs> uh, but it wasn't until about halfway through working on this project that I thought, man, I've got something here. What am I going to do with this? And uh, it didn't take long for the answers to come because very quickly there were opportunities to speak and train and consult around that content. So it has given me over the last 10 years since Help Them Grow came out, the chance to really uh, bone up on this, this topic and really understand a lot of the nuances, uh, the challenges and the opportunities that exist for individuals, for managers, and for organizations. And so it was as a result of then that 10 years of working day to day on this topic that the latest book came out. Okay. So it almost sounds like um, help them grow or watch them go. That would assume, at least to me, that the main reason people leave organizations is because they don't see a development plan for themselves. They don't see opportunity. Is, is that kind of what you're saying? Absolutely. Absolutely. And that premise is as true today as it was when we wrote the book 10 years ago. I mean, when you look at the statistics, um, room for growth is one of the five keys to employee commitment and retention. 94% of employees say they would stay longer at an organization if they believed an investment was being made in their development. Employees who don't perceive growth opportunities are 7.9 times as eager to leave, even if they like their job. Mm -hmm. uh, there is a direct and unambiguous connection between career development and, um, and retention. And despite the fact that organizations need that, we still struggle so much with it, don't we? It's still one of the major reasons um, employees, you know, of course, the great resignation, there are lots of reasons for that, but development is among them. You know, I was reading uh, maybe about an hour before we got together to do this interview, I think, and they were saying something like one in five of the people that quit during the great resignation have regretted it. And something like 40% of those are now going back to their old job. Yes, my husband uh, forwarded that to me. I haven't had time yet to look at that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, stunning, isn't it? Well, I think that's it. I, I, maybe, you know, it was the, I'm so burned out because everybody experienced that, including myself. And then of course, everybody's paying more money. So why not race over to that? But I think what people have found, I'm not going to ruin, because I want you to read the article is that, yeah, people didn't realize, okay, there was a lot that I didn't know in the interview, but number one, this is not a place where I feel comfortable at. 
So that being the case, I mean, I wonder if if every organization took career development seriously, if that might have an impact on their turnover rate. I absolutely believe that it would. Yeah. Because if someone feels seen and heard by their manager and the organization, if they feel like there's an investment being made in them, if they are constantly being challenged to take their skills and abilities and contributions to the next level, that level of engagement is hard to walk away from. That kind of a manager is hard to walk away from. I mean, when we, when we start treating development like the relationship that it is, it's hard to break up when your needs are getting met in that kind of a profound way. Well, I don't know. It seems like when, like when I was a little kid, you know, my mom would say, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I remember getting that question in school and I had pretty high standards back in those days growing up in Southern California. I wanted to be the guy at the dump that showed you where to park, where you can dump your trash. <laughs> so that was what I wanted to be when I grew up. And really that, honestly, that was about it. And in high school, I went to a college prep school. Everything was, oh, you know, your college, you're going to be part of. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I picked the path of least resistance going to a trade school, which then 1982 inflation, the highest ever, except for today and no jobs anywhere. So what did I do? I joined the military and joined as a dental assistant, which definitely wasn't something I wanted to do with the rest of my life. But I never really had anybody who sat me down and said, what do you want to do with yourself until sometime later? Is that mirror what you see in a lot of your clients? Oh my gosh, I just want to stand up and and shout, yes, 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 Matt. I mean, in fact, your language is even so close to what I talk about. You're right, from the time we're kids, we are trained to think about what we want to be when we grow up. We associate success and work with a title. You know, what they call me, where I sit. And, and then people get to the workplace and that whole notion is reinforced when managers pull out that standard career development question, where do you see yourself in three to five years? It's a corporate equivalent of what do you want to be when you grow up? Mm -hmm. We need to stop talking about what people want to be altogether and start talking about what people want to do. So if someone had sat with you early on and figured out what are your superpowers? What are your strengths and talents? What you know, in your soul needs to be expressed. What can you not go a day without doing? Mm -hmm. What do you want to do? If somebody had figured that out, then the opportunities would be enormous. Same in the workplace today. When a manager starts talking about where somebody wants to be in three to five years, they're forcing them down a career path, down a, a some sort of a, a promotional trajectory. Many of those being conversations end up with managers saying, well, no, I'm sorry, that's not going to work. You know, you don't have the skills. So-and-so is never going to leave that position. It's limited. Managers need to change the conversation and start talking about what do you want to do? Because when we figure out what's animating people, what's going to motivate them, what do they want to learn about, be engaged in? What kind of technology do they work, want to work with or customers or whatever it might be? When we figure out what people want to do, 
then suddenly that limited being conversation becomes unlimited because there are countless ways that we can invite development and those experiences into the envelope of someone's current role, but only when we start unpacking what they want to do rather than what they want to be. What is the incentive for a manager to do that? Because you could think about it this way. If, I mean, if, if, if a person never expressed an interest of going down a path, then by default, you will be stuck in the role that you are playing now. I mean, if let's just say Tom Brady says this year, he's coming back. He says, hey, I'm only coming back this year because I want to play defense. I don't want to be a quarterback anymore. I want to be a I want to be a linebacker. Well, the coach is going to be, are you out of your mind? You can't play linebacker. Yeah, but I really want to. That's what I aspire to be. I want to play defense. See, he is forever typecast in a role. And granted, he wouldn't have the strength to be able to do that, especially at the age of, what, 45 or something. But that seems like that's the alternative. If an employee doesn't show an interest, we will simply leave them where they are because obviously they're happy. What's your response to that? Yeah, um, squeaky wheels tend to get the grease. Mm -hmm. Uh, So employees who own their development who understand that they need to be in the driver's seat are probably in a better position to get their needs met than those who don't express any wants or needs um, in the workplace. The motivation though, for a manager to engage, even those who aren't volunteering that kind of information, um, the motivation for that manager to do that is greater engagement, greater job satisfaction, more innovation, probably better productivity, and ultimately retention at the end of the day. And um, it's not a binary thing. Like the example of playing offense versus defense, that assumes that in order to satisfy these other needs to grow, that we have to be in a different role. And that's what's been so confounding for managers for so long is, and why so many of them really avoid having career conversations because they assume everybody's going to want that promotion or a different role and they just don't have them. So in, um, in the new book, Promotions or So Yesterday, what I introduce is this multidimensional career framework that offers seven other dimensions, ways we can work with people to help them grow beyond climbing the corporate ladder, which is pretty much out of the control of managers and employees to affect. So if we could invoke some of those other dimensions, if we could figure out some of the things that we could do in the role that would meet somebody's need to grow, then, I mean, it's the ultimate win-win, win, I guess, the, for the employee, the manager, and the organization, ultimately. Is there a legitimate fear that a manager would have if I start getting this person to think beyond the job they're in, they're going to want to leave me and go somewhere else? Is there maybe that thought of wanting to protect myself so I don't want to get them excited about what they can do? Have you seen that? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And the research that we did for Help Them Grow 10 years ago, that was one of the top five issues managers had, challenges they had, reasons that they gave for withholding career development. And I guess I would say the only thing more dangerous than having conversations with people and helping them grow is not having conversations um, that will help them grow because 
you know, the, the, today's labor market is such, it's a, a seller's market, right? Mm -hmm. uh, someone else, some other organization is going to offer that. And, you know, the thing that I've found, Mac, and I don't know if this is, is true of your experience as well, but the managers who are effective developers of people, they still have turnover. I mean, folks are going to leave, but folks tend to stay longer. And those managers develop a reputation that allows them to backfill with greater ease. They're good at this. And so they're going to be bringing people up the curve more quickly. And, and so there's something in it for managers to let go of kind of that scarcity mentality and think more abundantly. The other thing is we need to be thinking about talent as an enterprise-wide resource. That great person isn't just yours as a manager. And thwarting their development can actually hurt the organization as a whole because there might be a great place where that person can contribute right under the same roof. So let's just say that I am a new employee at an organization. Is that about the time that my new boss should have that conversation or is there an ideal time before actually initiating this? I would say start having those conversations during the interview. Wow. I mean, imagine, especially in today's market with the, the talent war that we've got going on, the competition for great workers, imagine the impact of having a conversation with folks before they even join the family about here's our commitment to development. In what ways do you want to grow? What would success look like around your career here? And in the case of, you know, if you're using the multidimensional career framework, hey, you know, climbing the corporate ladder is one option, but we also can help you grow through contribution, through building your, your competence, through expanding your network and building connections and helping you enhance your, your confidence and, and building challenge into your work and making sure you've got the contentment and meaning that you need and the choice and autonomy. We've got all these different avenues that you can go down for growth. What sounds good to you now? Imagine the difference between that interview and the one that's just asking, you know, what are you going to do for us um, when you hit the ground running? So before the, the employee even becomes an employee, that's the time to start sorting that out. And then it's just natural to keep that conversation uh, going as you sit down and, and set performance and development goals right from the get-go. So we're dealing at a time that I can't say I've really seen it to this extent, where there is so many open positions and so few willing workers. But all I got to do is think back a number of years during the Great Recession when it was the complete opposite. I had done a lot of work at that time in outplacement. And, you know, these poor guys and girls, they get, you know, canned. Some of them, they don't even get a notice. They just try to log into their computer and, oh, my password doesn't work. And they call IT and like, we don't have record of you as an employee anymore. I mean, that's how cruel things were back in those days. But we're almost, it seems like now, by looking at development, we're trying to win as many people as we can to come to our organization. What happens when we go back to what it might be again at some point, where now we've got very few open positions and tons and tons of skilled workers and we can pick and choose? Is this development still going to be relevant? Absolutely. There's always going to be competition for top talent. And learning and development is a differentiator for that kind of talent. 
I would say also organizations are coming to grips with the fact that the world is changing pretty quickly and development is a tool to future-proof organizations, not just careers. The research from the Institute for the Future of Work indicates that 85% of the jobs we'll be doing in 2030 haven't been invented. And so organizations, uh, it's incumbent upon organizations to be helping people skill up, um, change the, the skill set, prepare, look around the corner, um, so they remain relevant. So I would say from a competition for great talent standpoint, even in different times, learning is going to be key. But to keep organizations relevant and moving forward, it's going to become increasingly mission critical. All right. Well, on that note, Julie, you've pretty much set up a really important playing field for us, the things that are most important to know. So the last question I have for you is for the listeners, how can you help them if they realize, wow, we really need to get on board with this? How can they reach you? And then also, how can we get copies of these books? Well, thank you for asking. Uh, both books, Promotions Are So Yesterday and Help Them Grow, are available on Amazon and at all of your fine booksellers. And my website is juliewinklejulioni.com. And we have lots of resources and articles. We have a self-assessment related to the multidimensional career framework and other tools that would help organizations begin to, and leaders, begin to think about what they might want to do differently when it comes to the learning and the development and the career development of their folks. Excellent. Well, if you're listening to this today, please take Julie up on the offer, take a look at the assessment, and let's go ahead and get you equipped to fight this big, huge war for talent. Julie, thank you so much for spending time with us today. Thank you, Mac. Well, thanks for taking the time to listen to another episode of the HR Oxygen Podcast. I hope you enjoy listening to these as much as I enjoy making them. I've learned so much from the guests we've had on the show over the past few years and I hope that you will continue to listen to us regularly. If you are a subscriber on any podcast app or channel, would you do us a favor and take a moment and leave us a review? We would really, really appreciate it. Also, if you have the time, check out all the offerings we have on our website, which is thebossbuilders.com. We have every other month a Sherm Credit webinar that we present, as well as a ton of other events, not to mention our Art of the Great Boss and Art of Being a Great Teammate programs, more information on that site today. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen, and we'll look forward to seeing you on the next episode. Oh, by the way, you may want to unbuckle that seatbelt. I think we just arrived at the gate. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the HR Oxygen Podcast. We hope you found something today that will relieve your stress, feed your soul, and pump you up to face another day. At Boss Builders, we want to let you know that we appreciate the hard work you do every day as an HR professional. And as a reminder, always make sure to adjust your own oxygen mask before attempting to help those around you. Be well. <laughs>